how you feel about something illustrated on the screen connects you even more to that product or service or brand because it's the same way I feel when I put my hand in my wife's bag to look for something. It feels mm -hmm. like my hand goes into a cave yeah, and I'm touching all kinds of terrain. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. Hey marketers, this is Dot, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Ethan Acquire, Group Head, Marketing and Corporate Communications at Asset and Resource Management Holding Company. And we will be talking about the state of performance marketing campaign activations. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Welcome, Ethan. How are you doing? I'm good. Hey, Dots. It's great to be here. I'm going through the work day, but can't wait to get into it with you. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So let's get straight into it then. Could you please tell us a bit about yourself, your background, your role, and how you've come to become a great CMO? I like how you say I'm a great CMO because apparently people have to blow your horn for you. So just keep absolutely. doing that wherever you are. I don't have time to blow my own horn. On a more serious note though, so my name is Ethan, like it says on a title mark somewhere. I'm an incurable optimist with a passion for connecting people to the right product or service via experiences, right? And I have over 16 years of marketing experience across media production, FMCG, that's fast moving consumer goods and financial services industry, which I am currently in right now. I am also quite the geek, so I'm a bit into tech. I say a bit, but I mean a lot, spend a lot of money. <laughs> And now yeah. I, I am a Gavin gamer and I'm not very good at it, but I still down. And I'm into superheroes, like everybody should be. I don't think people should get elected if they're not into superheroes. I'm just kidding. And that's it. That's a short summary of who I am. Yeah. And that's the shortest summary. But I know you are also known as a very intelligent, experiential marketer who always comes up with very innovative ideas. Maybe the best I have seen personally and someone who continues to shine in a world where human-to-human -human engagement is more important than ever. So on this podcast, can you please expose your secret to us? The secret actually isn't much of a secret. It's everything mm -hmm. you've said in there, human-to-human. -human. Everything I've learned and I'm applying, I have learned from another human, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll talk about my alien encounter later, but I've learned from another human. These are people I've understudied who have gone through worldwide experiences and at the core of experiential performance marketing is a connection. I mean, social media is great for connecting like we're doing right now, mm. but we're not activating all the senses. Humans are made of senses. We smell, we touch, we feel, all those things we can't truly explain. That is the 360 of experiential performance marketing. And that's what I try to bring to every activation, even though digital is a very big part of that. But once you go beyond that, then you are truly looking at longevity when it comes to brand equity. And I like the last point you said there. I did speak to a guest recently and she also mentioned the longevity of the brand and how that influences everything else we seem to care about these days, whether it's 
bottom line revenue, average order value, and so on and so forth. You have to really work to build your brand. And the only way to accomplish that is to continually engage people and just like you said, activate the senses. I recently finished a book called Influence the Psychology of Persuasion. And okay. in that book has about eight triggers on how to rightly work with people from a marketing perspective and how to use that to grow ethically. I must add that as well. So that's pretty good saying that. Now, when we look at commercials, and we have a lot of people running commercials these days and people burning money with regards to commercials these days, literally burning money. But we know some that are very profitable, like the WhatsApp or Microsoft Excel or Geico Skippables. I love the Skippables. Share a cook, for example. These are campaigns that I'm driving, not just eyeballs, but commercial value. So what are the ways you think marketers run campaigns these days that still cause loss of revenue or even loss of investment itself from your experience? Yeah. That's all over the place. Unfortunately, it does not help other marketers who actually know what they're doing in terms of gives them a bad rep, especially when it comes to marketing, because a lot of C-suite, and this is with all due respect to most C-suites, are very focused on the bottom line. And when you want to talk about, yes, the bottom line is important, but we also need to build brand equity alongside that. It's If you don't know what you're doing, you're pretty much just digging that hole deeper to put your leg in it. And to answer your question, why there's still bad campaigns and people throwing money out the window is for one, people don't determine, do I even need this campaign for starters? And by what I mean is, does your product even work? So no matter how great the campaign is, the proverbial horse to the stream, but I can't force it to drink. If it just doesn't work, it doesn't work. So you need to fix your fundamentals. If your fundamentals are good, then do you need a campaign? The answer is yes. Is it niche? Is it targeted? Then most brand managers and most marketers when you say, give me a campaign, they're going to draw up a list of 50 things. Oh, I need to do this, that, 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 I need to be on TV. And the budget becomes last. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, Dots, don't get me wrong. But when you do that, what you should do is go back to that list of great ideas and then reorder them in terms of priority. One, what will give me the biggest ROI from A, satisfy my C-suite in terms of bang per buck, and B, brand equity. What are the top three things I can afford look at the budget vis-a-vis, and then decide that these are the core things I want to focus on. And that's just for even making the commitment to having a campaign. Then the really important part is determining who needs this campaign, what should it be about. And remember, we talked about connection. And if it doesn't connect, you guys just sat in a room and made a decision and said, oh, this sounds like a great idea. Let's Mm -hmm. do this and lose a few billion dollars while we're at it. And think about the people at the center of the product, the person is going to experience your product. And that only should come from you. And that's where data analytics and understanding the market comes in. And we're already discussing strategy here, which is cool. I like your insight as to saying you need to determine the commercial value first before yep. the idea, which I have never heard before. And I think I like that because at the end of the day, when you are working with the C-suite guys, the business leaders, they want to see what is in it for me, the bang for the buck, just as you said, right? And starting with the objective in mind, the corporate business objective in mind, and seeing how efficient you are going to run this initiative based on that. Then you can start to trickle down into relevance, which is some of the things that you've mentioned. But I think most people, as of today, start with the ideas. 
And people get confused, just as you said, in terms of there's just so much being thrown around there. Everyone is a consultant these days. So again, if you are listening or watching now, you've just got to focus on what the commercial value is, then work on the idea and how you can use data to inform both the macro, which is then said there about the market or even what is going on within yourself. But I will also not skip what Ethan said about fixing the fundamentals. And it's not just about fixing the product fundamentals. It's sometimes also about fixing the fundamentals of your marketing, the digital transformation state of your marketing. Do you have all the tracking codes? Do you have a great web experience? You guys, you're listening, you're hearing, you know what I'm saying. If you don't fix that, please do not start a campaign at all. Don't even try. So I thought I should mention that. And I'm really glad it that you dove into that as well. So let's get into some of the examples or forms or approaches of marketing campaign activations from your experience. Could you give us your best two approaches? And if you can, you can give us a B2B side and a B2C side just to give some variety there. One good example would be, like I talked about, when you look at experiential marketing, there's a term I'm going to say a lot. Mm-hmm. And comes to focusing on share of typical okay. businesses tend to focus on share of wallets, right? How much yeah. can I get from you at a certain point of action? So if you had to take, for instance, a valid strategy, not a great one, but a valid strategy is to say, I want a B2B product that whenever a company wants to make a payment or a service, they think about me. That's where my niche will play. The problem with that strategy which is good, but the problem is that they're only thinking about you when they want to make payments. As humans, mm. I don't like to pay for anything, quite frankly. You know what I mean? Even if I need it, I don't want to pay for it. So that's mm-hmm. not a positive experience. That's one. Two, there's a whole other part of my life that you're missing out on, that you have no influence over, but you're waiting for me to make a payment, which is why share of life is more important than share of wallets. So share of life experiences, which is why you're going to see brands that go out of their way to have experiential events that aren't directly related to the product, but they're trying to get more involved in other aspects of your life so that you are thinking about my product when you're trying to make that call, even up to the point when you need to make payment. So you're no longer evaluating who to choose just because I want to make payment, but who to choose because they have value in my life. So the short answer to your question is experiential life events would be one of those things that have a tie in which is essentially sampling. And if you think of sampling as a subset of that, experiential events are sampling in a sense, right? I'm trying to get you to experience my product or service. I'm trying to get you to be in the atmosphere of how it works. I'm trying to let you see it. I'm trying to let you make a call based on how you feel, which at the heart of every product and service, that's really what it is at the end of the day, how you feel. So at the core of my experientials, those two key ways would be how I want to drive that experience of making, how you feel whenever you think of my brand, and if you think of all the biggest ones in the world, it's really about how you feel when you buy them. We are supposed to actually use the three percent of the features that are packed in there every event, but we buy feel at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. And we're right. Just a quick distraction here. I'm a Samsung user, and just last weekend I bought. Uh, I can't remember the name of the phone I bought, but it's like two thousand dollars or something crazy like that. And I'm like, I looked at it. I'm like, oh my god. Okay, <laughs> so. Every day I pick up the phone, I'm trying to use it just to get value from it. But the brand that is being built there is what, and we have some guys at the other side on the Apple Spectrum, for example. So I agree with you on the brand side. But something I just learned now is that 
life experiences, which I think is an upcoming concept yeah. that I think is going to grow a lot. And I'll yeah. tell you why. Share of life. Yeah. Share of life. Yeah. Please, guys, write it down. Pause this and write it down. Then continue. Now, when it comes to lifetime value, I think share of life is important in lifetime value because you look at the lifetime value of your audience and you spot the different needs within that lifetime value where your product can help. Full disclosure, I've known it for a while and I know that one of the brands that he manages deals with retirement savings. And part of the share of life for every retirement savings client is their health. If you are not healthy enough, you don't get to enjoy your pension, basically. And what they do with that is creating experiences around healthy things, exercises and events around marathons and things like that, because that connects to that area of life towards retirement. And there are many other examples here, but I think if there's anything that you guys need to learn from this episode today, is that share of life. If you're a marketer, you need to be able to study the decision-making process of your client, study their avatar causes the job to be done, and study how that relates to their lifetime value, however long that lifetime value is, and use that to develop great ideas for brand activations. And these are ideas that once the strategy is done, you surely get return on your investment. So that's pretty cool there. Again, still speaking on concept here, what do you think about the illustrative approach to marketing? It's almost like the share of life you mentioned, whereby they take a scenario in your life, they talk about that in like a post or a video or some creative, and then use that to sell the products. So there are many examples I could give one quickly. I know a company that was trying to promote their recycling service, and then they told the story of the milk cake. And you have milk cake, he has friends, he has families, stuff like that. We know that is fiction. We know that is not real. But we know that in the experience of disposing recyclable, milk cake is one of the biggest things. Because when you are packing these things together, the milk cake takes up a big space. And it's like, oh my God, okay. I thought that was very cool. And I know there are thousands of examples like that where they use illustrative marketing. You know, there is also the Apple tag. Adverts, I like that a lot, where the guy dives into his sofa and that goes into a world where he's looking for his car keys or whatever it is. Do you think illustrative marketing is something that still resonates today? Because to be honest, ads these days are crap, but that's another topic for another day. <laughs> I would like to be on that podcast for ads are crap. We can go off for two days, but, but back to the bunch of ads. In marketing, I think it's here to say, I think it falls back to what we said earlier, connections, right? How you feel about something illustrated on a screen connects you even more to that product or service or brand. Because it's the same way I feel when I put my hand in my wife's bag to look for something. It feels mm-hmm. like my hand goes into a cave yeah. and I'm touching all kinds of terrain and there's yeah. like different life forms in there. That's how I see it in my head. If you're able to illustrate that, I can totally really want to see that. Like, I get it, I get it. I was like putting your hand in the couch looking for the keys. And it's a different world when you jump in, just like you said. And so it's those emotions that you're like, I get that. I totally get that. And if you add a little bit of satire and humor in a sad world, I think it'll always be relevant. No matter what. I completely agree with you. It's a solid way to go. I'm going to put you on a spot, Ethan. Just- get ready. I give you $5 million. I want you to put that in a one-minute video on Super Bowl, 
Number one, should you even do that in the first place? Are there ways to better put the $5 million? And if you say yes, you want to do it, how differently will you do it in 2023? It's not a complicated question at all, actually. The mm -hmm. first thing you would ask yourself is, is this $5 million all you had in your advertising cycle? If the answer is yes, is all you have, definitely don't yes, put it's that. Yes, you have. Yeah. That's definitely not putting it in the Super Bowl. It's not happening. Because that's a one-shot ad, right? And don't get me wrong. The Super Bowl delivers eyeballs. It even delivers ROI. I think to date, I think it's currently trending at a 4 to 1 or 5 to 1 ratio. So 5 to Ooh, $4 wow. to a dollar. Yeah. Who make those returns? However, you are looking at the big boys here. These are people whose marketing budgets are in the billions. So first of all, you would be stupid to put a direct, and I say direct placement in the Super Bowl. What I would do with that $5 million, since you said it's the only thing I have, is look mm -hmm. for indirect piggybacks. Remember what Volkswagen did with one of the Super Bowls, where yeah. they didn't advertise in the Super Bowl, but they put out a digital ad that said, for your chance to win one VW, all you have to do is tag us and say something every time you see a Super Bowl ad, which was wow. brilliant. Because everybody's going to see a Super Bowl ad. They got in the hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of reposts and proliferation versus what they actually put out. That's brilliant because they sort of inverted the campaign on its head, basically. Precisely. So I took advantage of people who had the money to drive my brand awareness in the same period. You would fire me. Doctor, come on, man. If I blew that whole money. But I will take that money and then spread it across the life cycle of our channel for the peak times in the year when I think is relevant to my business. But to do that one bank shot when I can't mm -hmm. afford it, you should play in that park, but you should creatively do it kind of like what Volkswagen did and use mm -hmm. other means for the eyeballs that are watching that thing to get attention from that thing. And that's mm -hmm. how a smart marketer would do it. Absolutely. And I know for marketers listening, that's a bit stressful. Sometimes to get those ideas, you have to literally sit in the bathroom for like five hours, I get it. It's always worth it. Branding in today's world is 75% strategy, strategy budgeting, and 25% implementation. Because that is the only way you can run efficiently. And even for the enterprises that have 5 million and then some, it's always trying to make the best use of every channel possible. Because of the world we live in today, whereby we've had recession, people are still saying, Maybe there is recession. There's a lot going on. And everyone is really mindful on how they commit to resources in general, not just marketing resources. So thanks for sharing your insights on that. The next question here is in terms of brand versus performance. And I think you sort of mentioned that a bit with brand equity. Well, influencer marketing is one tactic that sort of marries both together. So it satisfies the brand and it also satisfies performance. And I'm wondering, what is the right way to execute influencer marketing campaigns these days? You mentioned some very important things that influencer marketing tries to sort of balance performance and brand equity, right? But yeah. for you, as the person selecting the influencer and the niche you're trying to target, that's what is key to making it work. So there are three pillars. You focus on conversion, you focus on awareness, and you need to focus on the influencer niche. Why those three pillars matter? Because... My awareness is irrelevant to a niche that doesn't concern the product or service. My influencer is irrelevant to a product that their followers cannot associate with. My influencer, if they're too big, they're mega influencer, and I'm trying to get conversions, 
in a product that is to a certain niche, I'd be deceiving myself. I'm more likely to drive awareness because more people are going to believe that Beyonce knows about this product than they would believe that Beyonce uses this product, right? Mm. But they're more yeah. likely to believe in nano influencer. You're not going to see Beyonce at Walmart anytime soon, yeah. but chances yeah. of seeing a nano or micro influencer in places that you can relate with is yeah. much higher and they're more likely to use those things. So mm-hmm. they tilt more towards conversions for nano and micro and more towards yeah. awareness for mega influencers. Some of them try to straddle the line, don't get me wrong, but yeah. at the heart of that is knowing what your niche is. So I wouldn't push centrally tech products. I mean, this is my opinion, I could be wrong with Beyonce, mm-hmm. for example, versus yeah. another influencer who is more likely to use it. All right. And that's the trifecta of making a successful influencer campaign. And I appreciate what you said there. We are both in the tech world. I don't know if you heard Marcus Brownlee. He saw an influencer post. I don't want to mention the brand, but it's a mobile phone brand, smartphone brand in China. They were trying to promote their device. And Gal Gadot, she posted that. But in that, in that post was Twitter for... And is it Twitter for iPhone or something crazy like that? Yeah. You know, he called it out and then... I don't know, maybe he was blocked or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you are right to say micro and nano are the guys to go because they use the product. You're not going to get a Twitter for Apple on a, uh, well, (laughs) let me just say Huawei product, right? So for marketers listening, if they have to engage influencers, there must be a period, at least a month, on having them to use the product. It's probably good news if they use it already. It's really, really important to do so. Another approach to marketing here is thought leadership or education. From your experience, what are some of the examples of how a brand has used education and thought leadership to speak to their audiences and potential customers? I think it depends on the service or product in this case, right? If your product or service has a learning curve, it would be foolhardy to try and push the values the benefits to me over how it works without how it works and part and parcel of that creatively mm-hmm. because you're leaving the learning curve to me that's more work as a consumer i don't want to do any of that work i just want the benefits right b2b product right exactly so b2b if you flip that coin and say it's pretty straightforward not much of a learning curve your education i'm taking this back to experiential it's less instructive, but it's better for me to influence whoever those decision makers are by sort of giving them a hands-on experience of how easy or how convenient it is for them to use. Because me just saying those words, they're just buzzwords. They're just sound bites. But if you do experience it and you go, oh, this was pretty easy to use, that's different. And then I then add on the benefits. It's cheaper to your firm. It has 24-hour service. That's just icing on the cake. So I think depending on the learning curve of your service, you may need to lean more in one direction or the other, but some things are more thought leadership and aspirational based. Again, humans are generally aspirational. I get that a petrol head wants to know how the engine part of a Corvette or supercharger works, Mm -hmm. but an aspirational vehicle like a Lexus or a Mercedes, it's less about that and more about how it makes you feel. I mean, Mercedes is moving away from the V10s and V12s from the noises into hybrids and electric cars doesn't matter. It's how it makes me feel when I drive down the street in my Mercedes. So it's less about the technicality of the knowledge, but it's more about the position of when I have it, I'm there. I'm in the category of what I was hoping for and how I feel is how I feel. And you can't put a price on that. 
That's what yeah. adds to your customer lifetime value. That's the most simple way I can think of to put it. I think you've got some great points there and why thought leadership should continue, not just B2B, but it's mostly in B2B, B2C, people always assume yeah. it will grow on them or whatever. But from a B2B perspective, mostly I think it's important for marketers to communicate that job that needs to be done, which cannot be priced, like you said. What does it make me achieve? It's not these features that it has, but what are the benefits that makes me achieve, whether it's the qualitative or the quantitative jobs to be done, basically. So I would agree with that. Before we move ahead, I would like us to have a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back after this. Stay tuned if you're listening. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. Welcome back to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. And thank you, Ethan, for staying with us. It's been an awesome chat so far. When it comes to tactics for marketing campaigns, and I would like us to set the record straight. You are known for setting the record straight, by the way. So please demonstrate that today. I think you've mentioned a bit of that. But if you can elaborate on your top KPIs, that can be used as a leverage to get investment in performance marketing activations from C-level management. What do you think are some of the best KPIs? And they don't have to be comfortable KPIs. Sometimes you have to report zero all the time. So yeah, what are the top KPIs that you think from an activation perspective leaders would like to see? I like how you said that very confidently that doesn't have to be something major all the time. Sometimes you have to report zero. I mean, you don't become Apple overnight. Let's just get that out of the way. You come today, there are those bright star products that show up every now and then or services that show up. But again, you do not become Apple overnight. So answering your question, one of the biggest things I've seen to help me, especially with convincing C-suits, is showing the relationship between short-term activation and mid to long-term customer lifetime value. In sort of summary, what I can give you now, if we went straight with pure performance marketing and what you could get in the mid to long term, if you balanced it out with brand building and equity growth for that brand, which if that graph is drawn, it would be inversely proportional in terms of the amount you needed to spend all the time for immediate activations versus natural attribution due to brand equity, which you've grown. There are products right now, some of us buy without any prompts. That product has gotten life share and mind equity from you. So they don't have to really advertise much. You already have a base for them. Yeah, but Tesla just started advertising this year. Exactly. Yeah. So once I can show life, customer lifetime value, especially for clients, what it can be versus what it is, mm-hmm. human nature tends to want the bigger one. And then it's the knowledge between how you can convince me that I can take you from here to here and then ultimately you're going to be spending less but making more. That is what's critical when it comes to measurements for convincing C-suits in proving that branding, balancing equity with performance marketing is just the way to go. Yeah, and if you've been on this podcast for a while, see me talk about showing leadership process, the process through which you grow from one point to the other and what that journey looks like 
most leaders know the value of brand equity, but they are sometimes not willing to commit to what it takes. But it is your job as the expert, the marketer, to be able to show the journey from where you want to be, where you are, to when you want to be using metrics that are not vanity metrics. People use all kinds of metrics these days. I don't know why we are still using CPM these days. My personal opinion, please don't kill me on LinkedIn, on Twitter for this. But I personally don't think we should be using stuff like that, even for a brand awareness campaign, because engagement is the better KPI if all you want to achieve is brand awareness. But if you want to achieve conversions, then you go to the deeper level KPIs and how your campaign can drive sales enablement, whether it's a B2B or a B2C space. So that's really beautiful. Something else I wanted to ask you, especially with the analogy of the 5 million that we use there, for enterprises that have a lot of money to spend, do you think they should still stay efficient by growing from the inside out? This is the way startups have grown. And I know you've been in the startup world a lot as well. With startups, they have to make sure the product works, the basics work, and then as for some time, they let the product speak for itself while they support that with marketing, but right. they don't often drive the viability of that product through marketing. You know, I've watched a lot of Shark Tank shows and a lot of people get chased out because marketing is the only way people can get their product. There is no virality coefficient involved, which is quite disappointing. Yeah. So how do you expect very big companies, the fans of this world? I work with a few of them on a daily basis. How do you get those companies to say, you guys can run efficient marketing, focus on product, focus on customer service so that marketing can grow organically and there is no aggressive push as it were. So that that way you can gain market share the right way and not waste money on activations. Yeah. What do you think? I agree with you. It boils back to what I said earlier about showing the value between short-term activations that, like you said, rightfully just wasting money, trying to boost. It's not always necessarily wasting money, but mm -hmm. trying to get short-term results with what you spend in the now versus what you could get more by spending less. Learning from startups, I think a lot of big companies are already doing that. I'd be surprised if they're not looking at their counterparts. So a good example would be Barclays, right? Or even ARM. Barclays has Rise. ARM has something called ARM Labs. What they do is that they work with startups who develop these products very quickly using the standard build, test, release. What they don't have, just like you rightly mentioned, is that whole advertising performance marketing push because of budget. But they will lean on the parent company that is now housing those smaller startups. So sort of like a symbiotic relationship learning from each other. And if mm -hmm. there's an opportunity to integrate, then they integrate and expand the company even more. And they learn those practices across the business. That's how I think most large companies should start to learn performance marketing. Adopt the core practices, test them in key areas. If you're worried about how is this thing going to do on a large scale, you don't have to do a large scale, like you said. Test them in key areas, see how they're doing, adopt and learn, and let it just sort of spread virally internally. And you will notice that the brand equity, because of the brand that large company already has, will then rub off on the product in its infancy and pretty much catapult it to where it should be in a decent time frame, And you'd be spending less along that trail as you go up that ladder. But growing brand equity and ensuring that sales and conversions continue to rise if done yeah. correctly. Makes sense. I agree with you because when it comes to enterprises, these are guys with over 70 domain ranking. Facebook has 100 over 100 domain ranking, for example. So 
they already have brand equity to the max. So yeah. why stay aggressive when you can continually improve your spinning off initiatives, you spin them out organically? Because the truth about aggressive marketing with big brands is that the more positive exposure you're willing to get would also come with negative exposure, right? Absolutely. Even though people say these days, well, before now, that bad PR is still PR, but if you get a bad PR in 2023, it's bad PR for your bottom line. People have gotten more upset these days. So really it's very important to follow some of the way that Ethan has broken that down based on short-term goals, long-term value, and trying to connect that to get to the result that you want. Before we close here, I'd like to ask you one last set of questions. And it's about best practices for leveraging technology. How will we do this episode without talking about the tech stack, right? Machine learning, metaverse, augmented reality, VR, chat, GPT. Try saying that 10 times without stopping. And all these technologies here. What have you experienced from all this? How do you see the future on how marketers can use this to drive performance-based brand activations? That's a very deep question, That I think with the advent of AI, things are changing very quickly and they're going to change even more rapidly. I think there's a lot of responsibility on both sides that needs mm -hmm. to be, people need to be held accountable. People who are developing these tools, we need to be careful how we apply them so that the negatives don't overweigh the positives. Think of every great thing that has ever been invented, right? From mm -hmm. nuclear power to gene splicing. There's always that set of people who want to use it in a negative way, even though they think it's positive in the beginning, right? And that's yeah. not go. So like I said, how we created the farm and how we managed to enhance some viruses to date, that's a different whole conspiracy theory video. Yeah. In relation to marketing, I think the sooner marketers begin to embrace it, the better, because okay. you learn to control what you know, how it works. The less you know how it works, the more you fear it. It's just human nature. And the more we're all involved, it also helps us with that responsibility I was talking about, knowing where our limits are and what we shouldn't be doing. How we apply them today to marketing. So look at AR, VR, those experiences we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast, which were limited by digital connections, yeah. start to be gradually broken down with the advent of things like VR and AR, because you're now using more than one sense. You are actually feeling things, depending on where you are, how that setup is done. You're actually experiencing a visual walkthrough and I think if we apply them responsibly, depending on the product or service we're trying to promote, I think it'll be a whole new generation of marketing for us going into the future. And I'm here for it. I like what you said there with, as a fellow movie fan myself, there's this popular quote in X-Men that people fear what they don't understand. But even when they understand it, it still doesn't stop the dangers. And if you look into marketing, there are issues like click fraud. There are issues like brand impersonation. I have worked in the financial side myself before I later worked with you many years ago. And we had issues of people posing as the CEO of a very big commercial yeah. bank and asking people for money and things like that. So are there some of those dangers that concern you? Yeah, constantly. Then it was just an email. So you would say, mm. yeah, if you gave your money to someone who's supposed to be a CEO, you deserve to lose that money. But now it's much harder because AI can mimic your voice. AI can mimic yeah, exactly. I mean, deep fakes. It's going to be much, much harder. And those are pitfalls. Unfortunately, like I said, they are here to stay with AI. They're going to get worse. We're going to try to build mitigations and they're going to get worse. And it's the yin and yang of the world, right? 
it's our responsibility to try and balance that, but just, just no escaping it. Maybe when Elon goes to Mars and I check it out. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense, yeah. I spoke to Brian, my producer, and I said, this is going to be an awesome episode. And Ethan, you haven't disappointed. Thank you so much for your time. And you have been the best marketer I've ever worked with, full disclosure. So where can our marketers find you if they need help creatively saving more money on large marketing campaigns? If there's a sale somewhere at any supermarket selling video games, I'm there. I'm just kidding. You can find me on LinkedIn, of course. Uh, Ethan O'Quire, same Ethan O'Quire on Instagram and Twitter. All the socials, just my first name and last name. I'm one of those ones that just decided to keep it simple. I don't have That's a cool. dexterity 5004. Yeah, six nine twenty twenty three. Yeah, that's why I am. It's been great here too. I mean, great team. I think you guys. It was a blast getting introduced to everyone. Great guys behind the scenes. You guys don't know this Brian, this Garen. They, they're doing good work. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate that. Man. Absolutely. That's all for today, guys. Thank you for listening. See more episodes at dotslovesmarketing.com and subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple and Spotify. The next episode, connect the dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.